You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at sax.com. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Calm Cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long. Calm Cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds like ocean waves and crackling fires. All of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast. Calm Cove is brought to you by the team behind Sleep Cove, the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis, meditation and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night. I want you to take a moment and just imagine how it feels to be an artist who works primarily in oils and you're expecting a baby. As I've talked about throughout various episodes, a lot of the pigments and especially the solvents that are used in art, they can be toxic. They're not always safe to be around, especially for a baby. And so when an artist is expecting a family, they have to start thinking about what adjustments can they make. And for Bisa Butler, that meant stopping painting. But it didn't stop her from making art. feel like who art ed? Who art is Mr. Wood art ed me? Either way, it's ambiguous. It works on so many levels. I know. That's off to great start. Welcome to Who Arted, where we explore visual arts in an audio medium. I'm your host, Kyle Wood, and joining me today, I have Dr. Rosemary Lee. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Kyle. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm excited because, I mean, you're... We go way back for those listening, like we went to art school together. We don't need to say <laughs> how many years ago, but um, I, I'm excited because you're... you're Coming to me from somewhere in Europe now, right? From Porto, Portugal. Por- okay. Uh, so first international recording that I'm, I'm doing. <laughs> um, but also, it's always fun to talk to you, especially because you are way more thoughtful and insightful about all aspects of art than I am. So. That is quite the compliment. Thanks. So, so thank you for 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 coming on here and and taking the time, even as you're, you know, what is it, six hours ahead of me? Um, yeah. Yeah. So today we're talking about Bisa Butler. Um, Bisa Butler is a contemporary artist. Uh, she's born in Orange, New Jersey, 1973, and. You know, just to get into a little bit of that backstory, uh, her mother was a French teacher. Her father was a college president. So she was obviously growing up in, you know, uh, an academic household, very, you know, thoughtful and purposeful in, in all sorts of areas of that education. And, you know, she got her fine arts degree from Howard University. 
um, her studio concentration was painting, you know, and I, I find it interesting, you know, she went to a historically black college and, you know, she saw influential artists, particularly two that I've covered before would be Ramir Bearden and Ernie Barnes. They were lecturing at that college and, you know, among other artists, she got that experience of, you know, learning to appreciate the the history of not just painting, but cultural identity through painting, um, through those and other artists of that time. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's really, um, something that I take away from her work as well as like how much her identity as a black woman, um, influences her work and how she, she tries to work history in and like the politics of identity. And it's so, um, it's so fitting right now. It's so especially relevant with all the, you know, recent events and um, issues with social justice going on. So it's, um, it's, I think it's kind of especially relevant to be discussing her work and like, and, and kind of interesting to see how her, her upbringing, her background has, has like shaped her perspective. Yeah. And I, I think it's interesting, you know, because it's, it seems so perfect for the moment where we see the social justice movement with, you know, Black Lives Matter, obviously we, it wasn't too long past for us at time of recording. It's not too long past the, you know, things like you know, the, the George Floyd protests were just last summer and, and all of that sort of stuff that has been happening. And so her work is dealing with, with black identity and her education had to do with that. Even, you know, years, decades ago, she was looking at artists and, and I, I find it interesting how I see this little bit of a through line with, you know, when I think of like Bearden's work, you know, and the way that he was putting, you know, um, he was he was putting black figures into essentially like Greek mythology and stuff like that, wanting to show that reflection, um, wanting to show diversity in classical subject matters so that everybody can relate to it. And I see this purposeful, um, these purposeful markers of identity and history in, in Butler's work. Um, like that's a through line that, that I, I picked up on. And one of the things that I, I noticed was like, I thought it was really interesting. She went to, to school for painting, but she's known for her quilts and the way she got into to quilts and fibers was basically just, you know, she, she was pregnant and couldn't deal like I've, I've in so many episodes talked about like the toxicity of various materials, you know, like, um, you know, everything used to be made with arsenic apparently. Um, and so in, in that context, she had to make an adjustment. She had to think about what would be safe for her and her family. And I thought it was such a beautiful choice to go with, um, quilting as a medium and take up fibers. Uh, I read that she actually, in 2001, she started to make portraits on quilts because her grandma was sick and she wanted to make her something. And so she found an old photo of her grandparents on their wedding day and made her a quilt. And I think that is 
a beautiful story of why she shifted towards that medium. Yeah, and it's so kind of specific to her own, um, you know, past. And I, I really like that it connects to her really personally. Yeah, and I think it's it's nice how she talked about choosing quilting because of her family connections, growing up watching her mother and her grandmother sewing. And, you know, she learned that as so many people do, she learned it as a child observing family members and and participating in that tradition, but also as work that is so much about identity and cultural identity, the quilt is, is in some ways like the perfect medium to, to synthesize these ideas because the quilt historically, you know, it's, it's a marginalized medium. You know what I mean? Like we didn't historically think of quilts as fine art. It was a it was a craft. Yeah, and it was like an undervalued kind of material and an undervalued kind of labor. Um, and traditionally, women's work, which has been typically undervalued. Yeah, um, and so and that's why I feel like it is so perfect that that's the medium that she's elevating, and she brings this painterly quality to it. You know yeah, I mean? absolutely. Like her, her compositions are so painterly. And if you, if you look at them from far enough away, you would think that they're paintings until you realize that they're, they're um, textile. And I think that's, that's kind of interesting. It's like bringing the language or structures of painting into a totally different medium. Yeah. And, and when I think about her process, I I am not a fiber artist. Uh, that is not a medium that I have any like respectable experience in um, by any stretch. Like I, I can do some basic stitching. Like I, I, I sewed a few masks back in the day, but I, I, I. In the before times. In the before the times. Early before. Yeah, the early times. But. But that's not like I understand the basics of the process. But but what I found interesting is as I was looking and reading about her process, I could feel myself relating to it um, because the way that she constructs these images, she basically is known for these portraits on quilts. And some of them are famous figures from black history, like, you know, Jean-Michel Basquiat. But she also... She also uses found photos, and she talks about how she likes these images of ordinary people, and she feels a connection because she feels like they represent the kind of people, the kinds of stories that she's known all her life, and she feels like those are stories worth telling, too. Those, like, the ordinary person is worth elevating as well. And giving them some idea, giving that forgotten and overlooked person the the respect of putting them onto these beautiful portraits. Um, I found that really interesting as a cultural connection. Yeah, and I I think oh, I find it um, really interesting too because um, I think it's it's interesting how she works with figures from Black history and. Um, emphasizes this like historical connection 
But I think some of her more interesting work to me is actually the most, um, you know, the people who are not recognizable figures and not famous. Um, and they almost seem to pop off the surface more to me, not, not necessarily visually, um, but they seem much more um, alive, like in a, in a, in a sense, you kind of feel that connection with them a bit more. And, and maybe it's just because you see a historical figure's face and then you kind of write it off as like, okay, I know who that person is. And then you focus on the history, but you don't necessarily think about who, who are they, what's going on in their internal life. Yeah, because when you see like the the celebrity becomes a sort of barrier to entry because you see it, you recognize it and you feel like you know them. You feel like you know that story. Whereas with the ordinary, the unknown figures, you have to do a little bit of detective work. You have to look at it and you have to figure out who do I think this person was? What do they represent? They're, the The unknown gives me something to puzzle over which I think makes the connections and the revelations more impactful. Is that Absolutely. what you were getting? Like, cause yeah, that, yeah, I, that was the I, same I read like that. that I had. Yeah. I feel like that's really true. Yeah. And, you know, getting back to her process, what she does is she said she favors the black and white photos, even though her work is so colorful because when she finds those older, grainier black and white photos, um, you know, it, it gives her that more freedom to make the the choices about the colors. You know, she's not she's not influenced by what she has seen in the initial work. You know, it leaves her that more f- creative flexibility. And apparently, she, what she does to form these images is she she projects. She she you know takes the image, projects it large scale. She makes the sketch, doing the the gradations, the color separations, figuring out the shapes of the different value areas and stuff in the work, which again, feels to me so much like the way that, that I would go through the process to make a representational image, you know? Um, like it feels like you're using a grid or a projection to, to get that initial planning done. Um, but then her method is applique, you know, she's, she's cutting all those individual bits of fabrics and she purposefully chooses those fabrics. She uses a lot of kente cloth because her father is from originally from Ghana and that has that connection to her family's roots and and obviously, you know, a lot of people of African descent have connections to those those textiles and those patterns and everything like that. Um, but she's she's yeah. I, I just find her her use of colors and patterns is is just breathtaking like the way that she she can make you know this um you know the portrait comes across but then in inside of it there's just so many microstructures and like micro combinations going on and and i i just find it interesting because i i don't you know I mostly work with with installation so I'm not using colors so much and it's it's like definitely not as bold as as her work so I just really admire her ability to take these um yeah like 
really um, vibrant colors and vibrant combinations and be able to put these various patterns together in a way that is not jarring and distracting. Yeah, it's very eye-catching. And, you know, as we're getting into the aesthetics and talking about her work, I think it's helpful to get a little bit more specific. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Sleep Cove podcast can help you. Hi, I'm Christopher Fitton, the voice and clinical hypnotherapist behind Sleep Cove. Sleep Cove features sleep hypnosis, meditations and bedtime stories all designed to help those of you who struggle at night to achieve a restful and peaceful night's sleep. Search for Sleep Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night long. And so I like to turn our focus towards um, the Safety Patrol piece from 2018 and just discuss that one a little bit, because that one was actually the first piece of hers that was acquired by our old alma mater, the Art Institute of Chicago. Um, and she actually has a solo exhibition there right now, which is highly worth going to for those who are who are in the area listening. Um, it'll be up through September. But as we look at that piece, I always like to let the guest go first. So what's jumping out to you? What do you see? What do you notice about that one? Well, immediately that pose is really um, dynamic. Like it, it immediately kind of catches your attention. Like why, why are these kids together? And why, why is the central figure, you know, putting his arms like that? Um, and I guess it's it's like a protective gesture, but it's also kind of pushing you a little bit away, like stand back. Um, yeah, it has that feel of like, you know, when I think of safety patrol as an elementary teacher, I'm, I'm thinking of like the kids at the crosswalks who are, you know, holding their peers back, you know, preventing them from stepping out in front of a car. So it is that protective sort of pose is the way that I connect to that piece. Um, but there's also something, there's something about the, the pose with the glasses coming down. You know what I mean? Like there's this little bit of an attitude to it. I, I like the way that as I look at the detail shots, the, the figures are all sort of looking directly out you know, there's there's a little bit of, like, confronting the viewer. They're looking at you eye level. That's exactly the word that I had in my head. It's like, you know, it's pretty confrontational. And you really kind of feel a solidarity between the kids, that they are, you know, they're together and they're helping each other. And then, and that you kind of feel separate from, from their cohort. Yeah, but... But it also doesn't feel, it doesn't feel aggressive or menacing. 
You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like it's it's confrontational, but in a but not in a negative way. It's like a it's an assertive sort of a strength and like and I, I think that's part of the way that you know she deliberately makes these portraits life size. So mm-hmm. it, when you're seeing it in person, your eye level with these figures who are life size, you're seeing them in some ways as they actually would be in the real world. Yeah, that's really interesting. Like not not having been able to see her work IRL is um, a little bit, yeah, I feel like I'm not capturing or I'm not, I'm not experiencing the full effect because I'm just looking on a screen. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm, I imagine that must be really kind of powerful. Yeah, I, I, I think it is. And, you know, when I, when I look at this, as I look at these figures, I, I'm also just so struck by, by the colors and the patterns and like, from sort of a formalist perspective and and that is sort of getting at analyzing work in terms of like just the formal attributes of how it's constructed and the strategies the artist used. I'm amazed that it works mm-hmm. because there are so many contrasting patterns and the colors like we have skin that is blue and green and orange and red and purple and it it oddly feels natural. I mean, it doesn't feel natural in the sense that I think that that's what a person looked like, but it doesn't feel inauthentic or out of place. Like I, I look at it and I accept it immediately. No, that's that's something that's really kind of interesting about her work because you see these really outlandish color combinations and. And you never, for a second, question it. Like you, you just kind of you see these, you know, green and blue skin or orange, um, orange combinations with with like bright purple and um, and it's so kind of engaging that you like thinking about realism is like the last thing on your mind. <laughs> um, yeah, and well, and I think part of the reason it works is because the lines, the shapes, the proportions, the values are all right there. They're all yeah. they're all accurate, and so it's it's kind of just the one element that's changing, and so that's I why I, I feel like it's not too far removed from reality. Yeah, I think that that consistency that like it's really just changing one factor. Um, but then changing that very drastically, um, but keeping the, the consistency in all the other parts, like the composition is really tight and it's very, um, like the drawing aspect of it is very accurate, um, to like photorealism. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I, again, I, I love the fact that the, the bright, bold colors of the figures are contrasted so nicely with the the gray and the white floral negative space. You know, like it's still a pattern, but it it, it recedes perfectly. 
Oh, yeah. And I just think like the details are really amazing, like seeing the just all the texture that you get from the various kinds of fabrics, but also this um, quilting that holds everything together um, and like adds another layer on top of on top of everything. Yeah, and and it it does that both literally and figuratively. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the 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 stitching is literally tying together all of those layers of fabrics, but also the the threads in the stitching provide those embellishments that draw an element in there. You know, it's the contour lines that are defining these shapes as well as holding the different layers of fabric together. Yeah, absolutely. And anything else you want to say about it? Um, I'm looking at my notes. Um. <laughs> I love that you actually had notes. That's why you're a doctor and I'm just <laughs> sitting here. I make notes about everything. Because <laughs> so. the only no, other I'm thing not. I had that I, I, I was thinking of, you know, you know, when we talked about the color scheme and... And the fact that these seem so bright and bold, but at the same time, not shocking. I think it's because there is also a historical precedent for it. Like she's not a part of the Afrocobra collective. Um, and that was a group of black artists focusing on like community and empowerment through artwork dating back to like the, the 1960s, you know, the, the civil rights movement. And it's actually rooted in Chicago. Um, but while she was at Howard University, she would attend lectures by those artists who were using that color scheme. And while she is not a part of that collective, she has said she does keep her color scheme in line with their aesthetic. So she is utilizing these different things. She is learning from from artists who came before her. And that's why in some ways these colors seem shocking and eye-catching because they're so bright and vivid and different from what, what people's natural skin tones would be. As a work of art, it does feel like a natural progression. Yeah, and I, I think also like connecting her work to the work of other artists, um, I also... Am a bit reminded of Kehinde Wiley's yes. work, and um, but I but what I think is really kind of interesting about Lisa Butler's work, in contrast, is that um, she doesn't focus on the on reinterpreting the Western canon of art so much, I, and I feel like other artists have been much more kind of focused on this like European art history. Um, and I feel like um, Butler's work gets gets so much more personal, and it's so much more about, um, yeah, like contemporary contexts and contemporary people, and um, having this closer connection instead of the the more kind of pomp and circumstance of, of like. Um, yeah, traditional European uh, art history that that is kind of interpreted by by other artists like Kendi Wiley. But um, yeah, I think that's that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that, but but 
you know, as you say that, I'm thinking of how earlier I was saying, like, she learned from Ramir Bearden, and Bearden did that work putting, you know, people of color into, you know, Greek mythology, and so allowing everybody to be able to see themselves in those classic myths and stories. It's like he was trying to say, we can still relate to this culture, and where what she's doing is she's saying, no, our cultural background is relevant, and we don't need to to gain acceptance by joining and adopting and trying to insert ourselves into someone else's culture. Our own history is is rich, and our cultural history is is something to celebrate and appreciate and elevate, you know, for its own sake and on its own merits. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of what struck me too, is, is thinking about like valuing um, Black culture in itself and that it is um, inherently valuable and rich and worthy without, without being framed in relation to, to uh, European painting um, yeah. as some other artists have done. It's hard to imagine a, a, a better point to end on than that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, do you have do you have like a, a anything else b- before I wrap it up? Um, no, I feel like we covered. Everything. I feel like we covered it. And I'm wrapping it up. I want just a three point rating scale. And where should this hang? The Louvre is this something to look at? The lab, the lab. is this something to learn from? Or the loot. British for the bastard. Yeah, there's a the loot joke in there somewhere. Oh, that's terrible. Okay. I would say the loot. Yeah, I, I, I fully agree. I feel like this is a museum piece. Like, I think there are so many things that, oh, I, I almost said that are woven together here. But, like, it, I know. <laughs> you could get really, um, yeah. Like cheesy with the with the terms, <laughs> I know, but but she like does bring work of history. <laughs> but but it, in all reality, she does bring together so many different ideas and cultural traditions and connections to the piece that I think are that are meaningful and important. Um, you know, as as a cultural artifact, but also just looking at it, it's like, that is a beautiful work of art. Like, even if I'm totally ignorant and like, and, and strip away all of the, the cultural connections to it, it would still grab my attention and hold my attention. And it draws me in and wants, it gets me wanting to learn more because it is just so beautiful. The colors are so vibrant, the patterns, the composition, everything is just working. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's so striking. And and she's clearly very, um, I mean, she's so meticulous, but but also like her, I get slightly envious because I, I, I just think like her, her use of color and patterns is just so um, strong. Yeah, it it is strong and it is strong, like I said, in ways that I feel like in some ways it almost shouldn't work and somehow it does. <laughs> like there's so that much so much contrasting stuff. Yeah. That it's like like as a as a painter and like 
you know, I always look at artworks and think like, how would I do that? And it's like, I, I couldn't. I would not come up with those combinations and figure out how to balance it right. Oh, totally. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. It was wonderful. Thanks for inviting me. This was fun. This concludes this week's episode of Who Arted? If you found this tolerable, please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. You can find images of the work being discussed this week and every week in the show notes on Twitter at WoodArtEd and on the website whoartedpodcast.com. Podcast done.